Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom here on this fine day in February as we hope the uh, weather starts to get warmer here in Columbus and start to get out of uh, this winter and move ever closer to spring football and really in the thick of things in basketball with all these uh, rescheduled games. Lots of games happening right now for Ohio State basketball. Last week, Griffin, you told me not to hold you to your predictions, but I I do have to say I I predicted that they would beat Michigan and and lose to Rutgers. You had it the other way around, so I got you there. Dan, the exact opposite of what I predicted came true, so I feel like I've got to get points in in some regard for that, right? (laughs) I guess. If that's what we were going for, low score wins like golf or something. Uh, I actually did a I did a little uh, preview thing for the on three people for Michigan, and I predicted in that one that Ohio State would win. And then in ours, I predicted that Michigan would win. So I had all my no conviction. We, we did both whiff on the Super Bowl, though. We weren't too far off. Like I was thinking about it because the Rams won 23 to 20. I was thinking about it. I'm like, if the Bengals can score one last touchdown here, we I would have been right on the number because I had 27, 24. So uh I just need, just needed one more touchdown there from the Bengals to get that score prediction right. But ultimately, the Bengals coming up short of their first title, the Rams getting the victory. Jordan Fuller, the only Buckeye getting a Super Bowl ring this year. He did not play in the Super Bowl, but is a team captain. I started all regular season before suffering a season-ending ankle injury. So a great way to end Jordan Fuller's second year in the NFL. Obviously, all those Buckeyes that we talked about on the Bengals, they came up a little bit short. Eli Apple's getting a lot of heat on Twitter after he spent the last few weeks talking trash. Now he's getting some of it back to him after he got beat for a couple touchdowns by Cooper Cup, including the game-winning score. Not sure that Eli really had a terrible game when you talk trash like he did. You set yourself up for that, and so he has to live with that. But all in all... uh, Great year for the Bengals. It was fun to watch their run to the Super Bowl and and watch some of those former Buckeyes like Sam Hubbard and Von Bell and, of course, Joe Burrow, if you want to consider him a former Buckeye. Watching them contribute to that run was a, a, a lot of fun. And all in all, a, a good productive season for the Buckeyes in the NFL. I wrote a story for 11 Warriors on Tuesday about – the Buckeyes who had the best seasons in the NFL. So you can uh, check that out if you want to uh, dive into that a little deeper. But overall, Griffin, any you know takeaways from the NFL season? Any former Buckeyes who really impressed you in the NFL this year? Well, first of all, Dan, I'll just say in defense of Eli Apple, I mean, who's stopping Cooper Cup these days? Because that guy Not many. continues to be absolutely incredible and just I don't even understand how or why he is so good, but he definitely is. And yeah, the Bengals looked like, I, I thought we were headed for overtime there, but the Bengals getting that last crack and you have to wonder how Joe Burrow's knee injury there late impacted things. But yeah, in terms of the season overall, and in terms of your list as well, I know you had Pete Werner at number 15. It's not like he was a, starting all season or anything for the Saints, but he continues to impress as a guy that had an underappreciated Ohio State career, a guy that, especially in 2018, received a lot of criticism but then after that kind of proved to be a lot better than a lot of people had him pegged to be. And he's continuing to show that in the NFL as well. I think you wrote that he had the sixth best pro football focus linebacker grade in the entire NFL. 
which is a, a pretty impressive stat right there. And then, of course, another uh, more recent guy for a Buckeye going to the NFL, Jordan Fuller, like you mentioned, would have been nice to see him actually get to play in the, the playoff run for the Rams and get that Super Bowl actually being on the field. But you know, as a later round pick, Jordan Fuller continues to be a guy that is, is proving that the success he had at Ohio State can translate to the next level. Yeah, longtime listeners of RealPod Wednesdays know I've been banging the Pete Werner drum for a long time. I've been saying uh, for a long time that he's underappreciated, did not get the credit uh, that he deserved from Ohio State fans. So I am not surprised to see Pete Werner uh, go in and play really well in his NFL rookie season, which he really did. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see what he can do next year when I think he'll most likely be playing uh, more regularly for the Saints in a bigger role for them because he was really impressive when he was on the field this year and really had the best rookie season of any Buckeye. Obviously, Justin Fields had a lot of ups and downs. We saw some good flashes from Justin. We also saw some of the struggles you might expect from a rookie quarterback. So we'll see what the Bears can do this offseason with a you know new coach, new GM. Can they build things up better around him and, and put him in a better position to succeed uh, next year? I think that's certainly going to be one of the storylines that we'll be following closely next year in the NFL is whether Justin Fields can take that next step and, and start to establish himself as a successful NFL starting quarterback. Cause we know the history that Ohio state quarterbacks have had in the NFL. And so Justin, the guy who's really viewed right now is the guy who's supposed to change all that. We'll see if that happens next year. Certainly this past season, a lot of Buckeyes who had great years. I'm a little bit baffled by how Nick Bosa didn't get a single vote for NFL comeback player of the year. I think Joe Burrow was deserving of that award, but uh, you look at what Nick Bosa did this year, 15 and a half sacks, a league leading 21 tackles for loss after tearing his ACL last year. I mean, he looked as good as he ever has in his football career, one year removed from a torn ACL. So uh, a little surprised he didn't get any comeback player of the year votes, but did get first team all NFL recognition, Pro Bowl recognition. And I have a feeling with him going into his fourth year in the NFL that Nick Bosa is going to get himself a nice big payday, a really big payday this offseason as the 49ers try to sign him to a long-term contract extension. And then the guy who was number one on my list, Cameron Hayward. And he's a guy who's in his 11th year in the NFL and had his best year in the league in his 11th year. You know, pretty amazing what he's doing and and a guy who I remember a few months ago hearing Chris Collinsworth say on a broadcast that Cam Hayward had really put himself in position to be a Hall of Famer and when I first heard that I was kind of like really like Hall of Famer for Cam Hayward but then I saw the Hall of Fame selections this past weekend and Richard Seymour and Bryant Young were both selected to the Hall of Fame and I, I thought it my one of my first thoughts when I saw that was I think Cam Hayward's had just as good a career as those two guys have had. So I think Cam Hayward with the kind of season he had last year is has built up that resume to where someday we could be talking about Cam Hayward being in Canton as a pro football hall of famer. So he's had a phenomenal career there in Pittsburgh. And this past year was as good as he's had in his entire career. I'll give some shine also to Zeke because he's a guy, the shelf life of NFL running backs. We talk about it all the time, right? And he's, this is only his sixth year. So it's like, some guys you're talking about Cam Hayward playing 11 years, not having a thousand yard season last year. It's, it's so easy for NFL running backs to, to hit that, that cliff. But Zeke came back this year with a thousand yard season, 12 touchdowns overall. I think a very solid season for a guy that 
could easily have started to, to take a real decline just with how things typically go for NFL running backs that take the amount of damage that, that a guy like Zeke does. And he was playing with a partially torn PCL for most of a year. And so I, I think Zeke has gotten a fair amount of criticism the last couple of years. Part of that's playing for the Cowboys, which is you know kind of like when you're playing at Ohio State in college, like the expectations are always super high there. He signed that really big contract. Whether he's really lived up to that big contract has been in question and probably fairly so. You're right. I mean, to have another 1,000-yard season, especially when battling through an injury, was certainly an accomplishment for him. And we'll see next year if he can stay healthy, if he can really return to that really elite form that we saw from him a few years ago. And you say next year. Let's transition a little bit here to next year for the Ohio State Buckeyes that are still playing at the college level because the Action Network put out a thing the other day listing Ohio State as actually the national championship favorite, which will delight the ears of a lot of our listeners, I'm sure. A two-point favorite over Alabama in the national championship game, and I think Ohio, they had Ohio State as a 17-point favorite, Dan. 17-point favorite over the reigning national champion Georgia Bulldogs. What do you make of some of those numbers? Because, I mean, you're hearing 17-point favorite over Georgia. That just sounds, it, it sounds like a, a big margin. Yeah, that's a little bit absurd to me, to be honest. Again, you're talking about a defending national champion. Now, Georgia is losing a lot. Georgia has 14 players who were invited to the NFL scouting combine this year. So Georgia is losing a lot. So I do think it's reasonable to think Georgia is going to take a step back next year. I mean, you look at a lot of the superstars they had on defense this past year, like Jordan Davis at defensive tackle, Nicobe Dean at linebacker, Lewis Seen at safety. A lot of those star players they had of that star-studded defense aren't going to be back next year. They're also losing some key pieces from their offense, like James Cook at running back and Jamari Sawyer on the offensive line, George Pickens at wide receiver. So they are losing a lot of talent. And so if I was picking between those two teams right now, I would put Ohio state as a favorite over Georgia, but not as a 17 point favorite. I think that's a little ridiculous to be honest. I mean, Georgia still has a ton of talent. I mean, they're still right there with Alabama and Ohio state in terms of being a top three talent team in college football this year. They got, they got a lot to replace, especially in the defensive front, but there's still a lot of five-star players out there on that Georgia team. There's still some real stars on that Georgia team, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And so uh, when I hear 17 points, um, that's a little bit absurd to me. What do you think, Griffin? Yeah, I definitely tend to agree. And I think a lot of it, even with all the talent, you know, got the, you, you just mentioned the stars that, that Georgia's losing from that stellar defense they had this season. But that still doesn't necessarily change the identity of the style of football that Georgia wants to play and that it probably will excel at again, which is that smash mouth brand of football, strong defense, running game. And that's the question for Ohio State going into this season is th those were the shortcomings for this past Ohio State team. We know what the offense can do, the, the pass attack for Ohio State. And that's why Ohio State can make a 17-point spread seem kind of easy because the way they were beating teams in the top teams in the Big Ten this past year, that can seem like nothing at times. But can Ohio State do that against a team like Georgia at the top level that can run the ball and defend as well as they can and, and proved to do against some of the best teams in the country this past season? 
And so those are still question marks for Ohio State. And that's why I can't necessarily pick them to do that to a team like Georgia until we see the improvements that are made in that those categories being defense and can Ohio State run the ball down the throat of any team, which at times we saw they were not necessarily able to do this past season. Everyone seems to have Alabama and Ohio State as the top two right now. I know in seeing a lot of those early top 25s, seems like most of them have Alabama at number one, Ohio State at number two. This projection actually projecting Ohio State as a slight favorite over Alabama. I mean, I, I'm right there with the projections. Like if I'm if I was predicting the national championship game right now, I would predict Alabama and Ohio State because I do think they have the two strongest rosters going into the 2022 season. Certainly Bryce Young and CJ Stroud have a lot to do with that. Like it, you're not really going out on a limb when you're picking the teams with the two best returning quarterbacks to meet in the national championship game. And so, um, you know, it's kind of a safe pick, but I think if you look at their teams across the board, I, you know, I think there's a strong case to be made for those being the two best teams in college football next year. Now, Alabama loses some significant pieces too. I mean, they lose all their starting receivers from last year. They lose a projected top five pick and left tackle Evan Neal. They lose some good players on their defense, but this is still a team. They return their two biggest stars. They return Bryce Young at quarterback and they return Will Anderson, who you really look at it. Bryce Young won the Heisman last year. But I think Will Anderson was the best player in college football last year. If you look at the numbers he put up, the absurd number of tackles for loss that he had, it's actually kind of ridiculous that Will Anderson wasn't invited to the Heisman ceremony. And he should have been right there with Bryce Young in that race for that award because of you know how good he was last year. So you could make the case, a very real case, that Alabama is bringing back the top two players in college football next year. And they're bringing back some other really good players too. I mean, guys like Henry Toto, who's a name that Ohio state fans might remember Jordan battle. That's another name. Ohio state fans might remember. Oh yeah. They're adding a couple transfers too, who are really good players like Eli Ricks, another player who Ohio state fans were hoping would come to Columbus. Jameer Gibbs, another player who was once recruited by Ohio state, who could be one of the best running backs in the country next year. Jermaine Burton, who started for Georgia in the national championship game against Alabama and has now transferred to Alabama to give them a much needed boost at wide receiver. So when I look at Alabama going into next year, to me, they're the team to beat right now. I mean, it's almost hard to never like, not pick them as the team to beat because we, we know what Nick Saban does year in and year out. And to pick Alabama not to win it all two years in a row, it's like, it's hard to even do. So like to me right now, if, if I'm looking at that matchup from an objective perspective, to me, I would pick Alabama as the slight favorite in that matchup because I think they've got more proven stars returning on the defensive side of a ball. I think offensively, I'd give Ohio State the edge at wide receiver. Alabama does not have a Jackson Smith and Jigba on its team. So I think Ohio State could have the more explosive passing offense. Running the ball, that's going to be, you know, 
a, a question for both teams. They, I think they're both going to have really explosive running backs and Travion Henderson and Jameer Gibbs. You know, the offensive lines, we'll see those play up to their potential. Right now, to me, Alabama is just a much more proven commodity on defense. I know there's plenty of optimism in what Jim Knowles can do for Ohio State's defense this year, but there's still no proven stars on that Ohio State defense. And so I think to me, if I'm just looking at objectively who would be the favorite between those teams right now, I'm taking Alabama just because there's some dudes on that Alabama defense who I know are stars. And at Ohio State, you have to project who those stars are going to be. They have the talent to have those stars, but they haven't, they're not actually stars yet. They have to become that this year. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of stock being placed into Ohio State has so many young guys on defense returning, but we have to actually see them improve before our very eyes. We can't just necessarily assume that they're all going to turn into these star guys, although it's definitely very possible. But like you mentioned, I mean, the storylines with that matchup, if it does end up taking place, are mouthwatering. I mean, the matchup of offenses, the fact that Bryce Young and Stroud are actually friends. They're both from California. They were both Heisman finalists this past year. Obviously, Bryce Young is the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. C.J. Stroud is going to take his best crack at that award this year. Those two quarterbacks with those two passing games, even with, like you mentioned, the receivers that Alabama loses, I mean, that's definitely a mouthwatering matchup. And especially when you consider the angle of the last time they played, obviously it was for the national championship and it was a mismatch. So that gives Ohio State kind of a chip on its shoulder in that matchup as well. But Dan, besides those uh, few teams we talked about, Action Network has Bama, OSU, Georgia, and Clemson as their top four to make it into the college football playoff. Are those the four teams that you have kind of pegged right now as the four? Because we just saw Clemson did not have a great year this past year. Do you think that they will have the type of turnaround that could land them into the CFP just a year removed from a very down season for Davos Winnie and company? I mean, those are the safe picks, right? Like if you're just going to play it safe, like those are like the four like safe logical picks, the teams you expect to be in the conversation every year. I mean, I, I do expect Clemson to be better this year than they were last year. My early initial projections, I'm going to leave Clemson out. And I'm going to go with my sleeper team, the team that I'm going to pick to to, to make the playoff next year. I'm going to go with Utah. I think Utah returns a lot of good players from last year. I think they're the best team in the Pac-12. I think... uh, you know, USC is going to be a team on the rise with all the talent Lincoln Riley's bringing in, but I think they're going to be a year or two away. They're, they're going to be so transfer heavy this upcoming year, but I think they're going to be a year or two away from really contending for, you know, Pac-12 title and a playoff berth. And so I think Utah is a team that I look at. They could potentially get through to Pac-12 undefeated or with one loss. And I think the schedule could set up for them to where I think they can get in the top four next year. So that's my team I'm going to go with there. Outside of that group of four, I'm going to put Utah in the playoff. Do you have a team? Uh, two listed, and USC was one of them, just because everyone's so high on Caleb Williams, and obviously Lincoln Riley and bringing over Alex Grinch, of course, getting another well-deserved raise there, as we like to say. Um, but defense is going to probably be a big issue for USC in this one year, but it'll still be fun to see just how much of a turnaround Lincoln Riley can kind of engineer in his first year there. Um, also, can Texas A&M kind of turn the corner and finally get themselves on the, on that uh, level 
in, talk, in, in terms of being a, a, C, a real CFP team, especially with the momentum they've got on the recruiting trail right now, which has been oft discussed, oft discussed here recently. Maybe that takes another few years for them, but I think ESPN might have had them number four in their way too early rankings or something like that. So that's another one there that's going to be interesting to watch. And yeah, it's like you know, Clemson, it, it, it's not impossible to see them making a, a, a big return, but but how much can that offense improve? Because that really struggled this past year for them. But I, I agree that those are probably the safe picks, but I would not be surprised at all to see. Yeah, I think Utah is honestly a great pick to, as a team that isn't all that sexy coming into the, and we know all about that having, you know, covered them in the Rose Bowl this year, but um, a team that definitely has some parts to be able to potentially make a deep run, especially in the Pac-12. Another team that I think could be a top four team, but who I'm not putting in here because of their schedule is Notre Dame. Because you look at Notre Dame's schedule for next year, they play at Ohio State in the season opener. They also have Clemson this year. And then, of course, they have USC, who we just talked about. And so you, you look at Notre Dame, like, if they can get through that schedule, like, they, they've got the schedule this year where if they have one loss, I think they're going to have a good chance to get in because you're talking about three teams on there that are, are potential playoff contenders. I don't know if they can get through that with one loss, though. I mean, they, I mean, they get two losses, they're not getting in. They don't have that conference championship. Even one loss – they're they're never going to be a lock because they don't have that conference championship. And so I thought about putting Notre Dame in my four, but I'm leaving them out because of the fact that they've just got three really tough games on that schedule and, and some other strong opponents as well. And so I think it's probably more likely that they're a 10 and two team than the 11 and one or 12 and 0 team that needs, they need to be to get in the playoffs. Now, Dan, if Ohio state is going to make a run at the CFP, it is going to need a big year from the 2018 recruiting class, which The Athletic just recently did a piece. It's pretty interesting. Re-ranking the, the 2018 recruiting classes around the country. Ohio State's class that year, of course, ranked number two in the country and had the highest overall class score ever at the time. But re-ranked, restacked up there by The Athletic, came in at number 12. And when you start to look at some of the pieces in that class, I mean, that ranking does make sense because there, there are a lot of guys that had very high recruiting grades for Ohio State that, that didn't exactly pan out exactly how the Buckeyes would have hoped. And we'll get into some of those guys. Um, what do you kind of make of that ranking there from the athletic dev? Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this. I feel like Colin and I probably talked about this at some point before you came aboard last summer about how that was a class that Ohio State really needed to step up last year in terms of them going into their fourth year, their traditional senior year, and how Ohio State really needed more out of that class than it had gotten. And I think when you look at how last year went, the reality is Ohio State still didn't get enough out of that class. I mean, you look at that class and, and what they've yielded so far. I mean, they have one superstar who was actually one of the lowest ranked players in the class and Chris Olave. And then you had a few other players who, you know, I think did live up to their recruiting billing and, and became really quality players like Nicholas Petit Frere and Jeremy Ruckert and Tommy Togiai. But the reality is at that class, and, and now that we're four years in, you can fairly evaluate them. The reality is a majority of that players in that class just haven't lived up to their recruiting billing. I mean, you have some guys in that class 
like Tyreek Johnson and Jalen Gill, who were expected to be stars coming in, and, and they just didn't, you know, really ever make an impact at Ohio State be, before transferring out. I mean, you can even, I think, look at a guy like a Tyreek Smith and say he he had a good career at Ohio State. He never quite had that career that he was expected to have as a guy who was almost a five-star of the class. And so I think the ranking by the athletic is totally fair, especially when you compare it to its predecessor, that 2017 class. Like the 2017 class, you had so many guys who became stars, like Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, and then even lower-ranked guys in that class, guys like Thayer Munford and Pete Warner, who we talked about before. You know, you had a lot of guys in that class who really lived up to the hype and became star players, and that's one of the best classes Ohio State has had in recent history. And that 2018 class, which is as you at the time that class had the highest score ever for an Ohio State class, that was topped. Uh, a year ago in 2021 with that class with JT Tuimolowau and Jack Sawyer, Travion Henderson, all those five stars, even Quinniors for a few months there. Um, <laughs> that class, we'll be able to talk about that class in two or three years to really see what that class became. But yeah, I think that 2018 class, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that as a class, it, that class just did not live up to expectations at Ohio State. I mean, you have really in that class, nine or 10 guys who really didn't do anything at Ohio state. Those being Tyreek Johnson, Jalen Gill, Brian Sneed, Max Ray, Blue Smith, Dallas Gantt, Kayvon Pope, Matt Baldwin, Alex Williams. Now that happens like that. That's part, you can look at any class and you're going to see nine or 10 guys in, in, in a class who really didn't do much. I mean, that's just the way it goes. You're not going to hit on everybody, but you know, as we talked about really only a few guys who become stars from this class, you have a few other guys like Master Teague and Seven Banks and Antoine Jackson who were starters for at least part of their career at Ohio State, but never quite became stars. I mean, they were they had decent careers. You're talking about Master Teague, Antoine Jackson, a couple of guys who are probably going to be undrafted guys coming up. Seven Banks, a guy who's now going to transfer to finish his career elsewhere. So you know, some contributions there. But I just don't think you've had enough high-level contributions from a class that was supposed to be a great class. When we're talking about winning national championships, you have to get, really in every class, you have to get numerous stars. And I think that class has just come up short in that regard of what you would expect, especially with the way it was ranked. because. You look at that 2019 class that came in the year later, that was a smaller class. It was a smaller class in part because of how many players Ohio State took in 2018. And so I think you combine those two classes together and you look at last year, Ohio State just wasn't getting enough out of those third and fourth year classes, especially on the defensive side of a ball. And I think that partially explains why Ohio State didn't live up to expectations last year. Now you look ahead to this year, there's still a good amount of players from that class who are around for a fifth year at Ohio state, nine players in total from that class who are still with the Buckeyes, those being Teron Vincent, Matt Jones, Josh Proctor, Cameron Babb, Tyler Friday, Javante Jean Baptiste, Taraja Mitchell, 
Cameron Brown and Marcus Hooker. So there's still time for that class to rewrite the narrative a little bit. I don't think it's likely that in a year from now, we're going to be talking about this class suddenly was great and lived up to the hype, but there is still a solid core group from that class still on the team this year, which as you mentioned, those guys, at least some of those guys are guys who could be counted on to play big roles this year. Yeah, Dan, I think one, two, three, at least four of those guys are going to probably be starters starting out next season for Ohio State. And a lot of these guys, even if they're not starters, are on the defensive side of the ball. And if Ohio State is able to have the defensive turnaround that a lot of people expect them to with Jim Knowles taking up the reins, that could change a lot of the narrative. If guys like Josh Proctor, uh, Teron Vincent, Cam Brown, if those guys all have stellar seasons for Ohio State and things turn, the numbers turn around in a big way in just a season. I mean, you could be looking back at a lot of those guys' kind of career trajectories uh, differently than we are at the moment. And I think uh, a couple guys that are, are particularly interesting to me are Josh Proctor and a guy like Cam Brown as well, guys that have dealt with injuries. And we've seen flashes from them, but we haven't necessarily seen a full season of extended excellence, per se, from those guys. And, of course, the secondary has been an issue at Ohio State for the last couple of years now. Can those guys you know, make, a, make a big difference and have really career years in this year for them, which would be huge for Ohio State? But I think, honestly, the guy that they might need to step up the most out of all those guys might be a Teron Vincent, who is going to have to replace a lot of production from a guy like Haskell Garrett, the best defensive tackle for Ohio State that is headed to the draft. He's a guy that we've been waiting for him to kind of have that breakout season. A lot of people thought it would happen this past year. It didn't quite pan out that way. Might it happen this year with even more reps for him with a guy like Garrett being out? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the guy that I think Ohio State might need to step up, especially when it comes to Ohio State defended the run in a couple of big games this season. Yeah, I mean, you look at Teron Vincent. He's a five-star recruit. He was one of the three five-stars in that class, along with Nicholas Petit-Frere and Tyree Johnson. So if you look at those two guys, they're one for two. Nicholas Petit-Frere became a great offensive tackle for Ohio State. Tyreek Johnson really never contributed to Ron Vincent right now. He's kind of in that gray area. If he can come back this year and have a great fifth year senior season, he could finish his career on a real high note to this point. His career has not been what it was expected to be at at Ohio state. And so this is going to be a really big uh, year for him, uh, especially as an NFL prospect. If he can have that kind of year, he needs to have to really legitimize himself as an NFL prospect. So Certainly, I think all three of those guys you named are the guys that stand out to me on that list too, in terms of that defense taking the next step. You know, I think Josh Proctor in particular was a guy who Ohio State really missed this past year when he went down with that season-ending injury in the second game of the year. They really missed his presence at the back end of the defense. And I think he's a guy certainly that they're counting on to come back and make a big impact this year. We saw Bryson Shaw have his ups and downs at that free safety spot last year. I think the plan is certainly for Josh Proctor to return and be the starting free safety this year. And, and whether he can do that and whether he can, he's a guy that we've seen again throughout his career. He's had a lot of flashes. We haven't necessarily seen him put it all together and become that star player. He looks like he has the potential to be, if he can become that, that would be huge uh, for this defense. And I think him and Cam Brown, like you said, in particular, those are two guys who are really important in that secondary because we saw Denzel Burke have a breakout year last year. Ronnie Hickman had a breakout year last year. 
I think we're all expecting Tanner McAllister to come in and, and play a big role and be a big part of Jim Knowles' defense. But Proctor and Brown, they're really the two other pieces in that secondary. Those are the guys, they need to stay healthy. They need to be on the field. And Ohio State's going to be counting on those guys uh, to play major roles this year because there are other guys who could potentially play at those spots. But I think for Ohio State's secondary to be at its best in 2022, Josh Proctor and Cam Brown are two guys they have to be able to rely on. And Dan, there's plenty to speculate about in terms of the football season and everything. But as we know, the Super Bowl is over now. Spring ball is still a couple of weeks away for Ohio State. And basketball is really on the forefront right now as we reach the nearing the conclusion of the regular season here for the Buckeyes, because there's only eight games left on the schedule. Six of those, Dan, will be at home or Ohio State's 10 and 0 this season. That bodes well for the Buckeyes who are coming off of a stretch of four road games in five, which was up and down for them. Ohio State is coming off of a win over Michigan on the road, which was big. And disclaimer for all the listeners, we are recording this before Ohio State's Tuesday night game against Minnesota. They are heavily favored to win that game. But of course, as we know, oftentimes with Ohio State, things do tend to go down to the wire. Um, I, I tend to think, though, that that this one will probably be a Buckeye win one way or another. So just for everybody listening, we, we don't know the results of that game. But moving on from that point, EJ Liddell right now for the Buckeyes has been playing absolutely out of his mind. He really has been for most of the season. He's had a couple of lulls here and there. But one interesting thing coming out of that Michigan win the other night was that Chris Holman got asked, like the first question Chris Holman got asked in the post-game interview, he basically cut off the reporter and said, and basically laid down what he wanted to talk about, which was why is nobody talking about EJ Liddell as more of a legitimate Big Ten player of the year candidate? Which I tend to have some theories that might be a response to, to Andy Katz leaving EJ Liddell off of his first team All Big Ten list that he made a couple of weeks ago. That being a prominent kind of national voice when it comes to college basketball, and, and that seeming like kind of a snub there for EJ Liddell, who had who is averaging right now twenty points a game, seven and a half rebounds for Ohio State in the last five games in particular. Dan, he's averaging upwards of twenty-two points per game, eight rebounds, three point six assists which that is something that he's obviously done a lot more this year than he has in years past. He's shooting well over 50% from the field, 80% from the free throw line. All of those numbers that I just listed are above his season averages, which just goes to show that he's playing his best ball of the the season really right now in this latest stretch. But I think the problem for him in terms of being a, a big 10 player of the year front runner is that there's just so many great individual performers in the big 10 right now. And some of them are on, teams that are considered to be better when you talk about a Kofi Coburn for Illinois, Johnny Davis for Wisconsin, Jaden Ivey for Purdue. So it's tough for him to reach the, the top of that heap. But nonetheless, I mean, he still deserves recognition for just how great he's playing at the moment. Yeah, I mean, the reality is there's like five or six guys in the Big Ten who could be in that national player of the year discussion. I mean, you'd even mention Keegan Murray, who's leading the Big Ten with 23.3 points per game. So there's a lot of stars in the Big Ten right now, which means earning a spot on that first team all Big Ten is not going to be easy this year. There's going to be one or two guys who get left off that team who have reason to feel like they got snubbed because there's a lot of star power in the Big Ten this year. But certainly, I believe EJ Liddell, regardless, belongs on that team. He belongs in 
uh, that Big Ten Player of the Year discussion. He belongs in the National Player of the Year discussion. And like you said, I, I do have a feeling that Andy tweet that I know EJ Liddell quote tweeted probably had something to do with that. I mean, I, I have seen people talking about EJ like that. I know Jeff Goodman is one who regularly talks about EJ Liddell being one of the best players in the country. And I mean, the other thing that I've really seen with EJ is going into the year, I was seeing a lot of NBA mock drafts that didn't have EJ at all. Now I'm seeing him show up in the first round of, of NBA mock drafts. And so I think EJ is getting a lot more recognition, maybe not quite as much as Chris Holtman feels like he deserves, but uh, I think he is a guy that people are taking notice of is one of the best players in college basketball. And certainly we talk about Ohio state being a team that still has at least an outside shot in the big 10 title race. EJ Liddell is without a doubt the number one reason why they're here in that race, because he, he is the Buckeyes best player by far. He is the guy who, I mean, you look at him, he has, he has scored double digits in every single game this year. Again, we, I feel like we're recording this, setting ourselves up for him to have eight points in a Minnesota loss on Tuesday night. So if, if, if that happened by the time you're listening to this, feel free to laugh at us going into that Minnesota game. He has scored 20 points in 10 of Ohio State's first 21 games. And so he's just been so consistent, so reliable for Ohio State this year. We knew that they were going to run things through him this year, and he's been exactly what they needed him to be. And a couple of guys that that aren't going to get that same level of recognition, but have played a bit of an important role for Ohio State in this stretch are Cedric Russell and Eugene Brown. Cedric Russell, of course, being the Louisiana transfer shooting guard, he did not get a whole lot of playing time early in the season, Dan, which was kind of alarming because we we're thinking that this guy was coming over as kind of a, a veteran proven a scorer. His playing time kind of, he, he didn't get a lot of it early in the season, frankly, but recently he is playing his best ball. And I think uh, against Michigan might've been his, his absolute best performance of the season. He had 12 points off the bench the game before the, in the, the loss at Rutgers, Ohio state's bench only had eight points in total. So Cedric Russell coming off the bench to, to do that what was huge for the Buckeyes against Michigan and um, also making plays on defense too, taking a huge charge in that second half. And, and that's something where I, I think part of the reason he doesn't get as many minutes is because he's not one of these two guards that has all this. He's not six, six with a huge wingspan and, and length that makes him a, an important player on defense. He, he's a smaller guy at that shooting guard position, but I, I've seen people describe him as a, a drought buster for Ohio state. And I think that's a perfect way to kind of put it because every time he scores, it, it seems to be, a timely bucket for Ohio state and one that that ends up mattering. So I think people are definitely clamoring to see him get more minutes here down the stretch for Ohio state, especially as a guy like Justin Arns has kind of tapered off in production and, and coinciding with that as well as Eugene Brown, the sophomore guard for Ohio state. He is a guy with that prototypical size and length at that wing spot, especially in the college game, a guy that's six, six um, for the Buckeyes. He just got his first career start against Michigan and Listen, he doesn't do a whole lot on offense. He's not expected to do a whole lot. I don't think they want him to do a whole lot in terms of trying to create his own shot or, and things of that nature. But he's a guy that he, he's, he's really a glue guy for the Buckeyes right now. And a guy that I think he'll have a much bigger role in on both sides of the ball the next year and years beyond. But the fact that he's now a starter for high state, and it sounds like Amici Johnson's injured right now. He just missed the last game with an ankle injury, but it sounds like Brown will continue to be a starter for the Buckeyes because of what he gives them on defense. Yeah. I mean, starting with Russell, like you kind of get that vibe that like, he's a guy that from the spotlight is brightest. He plays his best because you look at the two games when he's really made a big impact this year, 
It was the win over Duke and the win over Michigan. Probably their two biggest wins of the year. So we've seen that in the big moments. He's really stepped up. I think now the question is down the stretch of a season, is he a guy they can really consistently rely on to be in that guard rotation? And I think it's fair to question, as a lot of fans have, like, why hasn't he been playing more? Like, maybe he isn't as good in practice as some guys. We've seen it in these big games, and they've really needed him to step up. He has. And so it's going to be interesting to see. It does feel like Justin Arns, a guy who had been a starter all year, he, he his time in the starting lineup's probably over. Like, He's going to have to settle into being more of a role player. And that, again, I think Brown adds more on the defensive end. I think Russell adds a more versatile offensive game than just shooting threes. And so those two guys coming along, obviously having Michi healthy is going to be important too. All those guys can come along. It, it just gives them a lot more options there on the wing, in the backcourt, guys who can make plays. And so that's certainly going to be a big thing for this team because we talk about EJ. The thing this team still doesn't really have is like that bona fide number two guy. Like Malachi Branham is the number two guy, but he's still a true freshman. He's still a little bit inconsistent. And so they need to have a core group of you know eight guys or whatever. I know Holtman said that he probably wants for rotation to be about eight guys as they get into the stretch run. They need to have that strong you know core group of eight guys they can rely on. And again, EJ certainly leads that. Malachi is a big part of that. Zed Key and Kyle Young are a big part of that in front court. Jamari Wheeler is certainly a big part of that point guard. But then I think it's it's that combination of. Cedric Russell and Eugene Brown and Michi Johnson and Justin Arns. It's kind of figuring out the right blend of how to use those four guys to maximize what they can bring to your team. I think finding that right combination, especially if we assume that just assuming might not see the floor this year, because again, we've talked about this before running out of time for just assuming to come back. And so I think for now I'm at the point where I kind of assume until we see just assuming play, I'm just going to assume he's not going to be a factor this year. I think those four guys to me are, they almost determine how far this team can go. Those other five guys that we mentioned are probably the five best players, but it's like those next four guys, like can, can, can they get enough consistent production from them to give them that depth, to give them that impact, whether it's in the starting lineup off the bench, uh, to really give them that group of eight to nine guys that they can count on as they go down this stretch run where, again, they're going to have a couple weeks here in a row where they're playing three games a week, and then you go right into the Big Ten tournament and into the NCAA tournament. So it's a grind for the rest of the way. There's no breaks for the rest of the way. And so you've got to have eight or nine guys that you can really count on. And, you know, I think it's that group of guys like Russell and Brown and Michi that it's how much you can get out of them could play a key role in how far this team can go. Dan, and looking ahead past that Minnesota game, which we're, we're going to assume the Buckeyes are going to win that one. But if they don't, have one. We'll look very <laughs> stupid if they do not. But after that, they've got Iowa and Indiana on the schedule, both at home. Like we said, Ohio State's 10-0 and at home. They've played much better at home. They just seem more comfortable at home. They shoot better at home, everything like that. But neither of those games are guarantees by any stretch. Iowa right now, Dan, the last two games, Iowa scored 98 and 110 in the last two games. And neither of those games went to overtime. 
And Keegan Murray, like you said, is the, the highest scoring player in the entire league. So, so that's a dangerous game for Ohio State right there, even at home, even if Iowa isn't necessarily at the upper crust of the Big Ten per se. And then you've got Indiana, who, while on a three-game losing streak at the moment, they have a 16-point win over Ohio State already this season, and they dominate Ohio State inside. They have Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson, a very formidable front court. So Ohio State will have to do something in that rematch that they didn't do the first time, even if Indiana has kind of struggled to score recently and suffered a few losses back to back to back. But then, I mean, you called it correctly last week. You predict you have the right predictions. What is going to happen for Ohio State in those two games? Man, it's tough because, I mean, I think Ohio State absolutely can win both those games. I think Ohio State's probably going to be favored in both those games playing on their home floor, but you're talking about two tough games in three days there. I mean, you're talking about three games here in, in a six day span. I, I'm going to go for split there. I'm going to, I'm going to go with split. I'm going to say they go one and one against Iowa and Indiana at some point. They're going to lose a game at home. It's going to happen at some point. I don't feel confident saying which game they're going to win, which game they're going to lose, but I'm going to say they split those games one and one. And when we talk next week, Ohio State will have lost a home game for the first time this season. I agree. I think they're going to split those two games, too. I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on a limb and say I think Iowa might spring a, a bit of an upset, even though it might not be a huge margin that Ohio State's favored to win or anything. That's where I was leading, too, because I feel like they get the revenge against Indiana at home. But, yeah, Iowa's dangerous right now. Yeah, that's an absolute fact. But then some other news for Ohio State on the recruiting trail, as a matter of fact, Ohio State just picked up its second commit in the 2023 class with Austin Parks from St. Mary's, an Ohio guy, 6'10 center, a three-star guy, I believe is the number one, 148th ranked prospect in the class of 2023. A three-star guy that might not get fans totally excited, but listen, he's a sixth rated player in the state of Ohio. And of course, recruiting Ohio, getting the best talent in the Buckeye State is a big thing for the Ohio State basketball program. I mean, you, you look at Malachi Branham, uh, an Ohio guy, look at what he's already doing for the Buckeyes right now. And I definitely think that he could be a guy that that defies that, that three-star tag in the future, just looking at him play. Because when you're looking at a high school prospect, a 6'10 high school big man that's a junior, you probably assume what? That they might be not the most coordinated guy or a bit of a lumbering type of guy and that he's a project and that he still has to develop his skills and hone his, his, his repertoire. I don't actually see that as much when I watch Austin parks play. I think I'm very impressed by his low post repertoire and his passing ability and his ability to, you know, his post moves and everything like that. He, he actually seems like a pretty skilled guy. And I think that's why Ohio state made him kind of a priority because they see a player that could actually be pretty versatile and a guy that's pretty athletic as well that can potentially add some other elements to his game. He, he talked to me about wanting to develop a more of a 15-foot jumper, more of a face-up game for the Buckeyes as well. And I think if he can do those things, he, he could definitely become a, a pretty interesting prospect for the Buckeyes. And just, I mean, the number one thing is we've been talking about for, for a couple of years now, Ohio State just not having that true center that they can play for a lot of minutes. Like right now, Zed Key is the starting center at 6'8". He's been great at times for the Buckeyes this season, for sure. But when you see him uh, have to guard a seven foot four Zach Eady or a seven foot one Hunter Dickinson, he has not had his best games in, in those matchups. And Joey Brunk, he only plays about seven minutes for Ohio State. Um, 
So now you've got two guys in, in Felix Akpara coming in with the 2022 class and now potentially Austin Parks coming in the, the next year after that. Ohio State's starting to bolster the depth at that center position with some guys that have true Big Ten center bodies. I admittedly don't follow basketball recruiting too closely, so it's more of a question than a take. But do you think that Austin's ranking, you know, where it is, the freestyle rating, does some of that have to do with just the level of competition he's playing, that he's not maybe going up against a lot of other top recruits and it's it's hard maybe to kind of gauge his game with the guys he's playing against? Yeah, for sure. That was actually something that came up when I was having discussions about him was that, you know, he doesn't have the national recognition right now just because of maybe the, the competition in his his AAU situation playing with Ohio Buckets, his AAU program. But um, so I think there's potential there for him to rise in the rankings a bit as his name gets out there and he gets a little more um, shine, if you will. Ohio State has two commitments for the 2023 class now. George Washington, a top 50 ranked Combo guard was the first commit in that class. And now Austin Parks seems like the feeling is Ohio State probably takes one more player in that class, maybe two. They've offered quite a few wing kind of guys in the class. Two notable guys are local guys, Dalen Swain from Afrocentric High School in Columbus and Devin Royal from Pickerington Central High School. So those are a couple top 100 guys right in Ohio State's backyard. I know there's some other names as well that they've offered. Griffin, right now, what's your read on uh, who might be the most likely guy or guys to join Washington and Parks in this class? I think it will probably be a wing type guy like you're talking about. But I also think that the fact that now Ohio State has two commits in that class, which is more than I think only two other programs in the Big Ten have two commits in that 2023 class. It allows Ohio State some more room, some more wiggle room in in time to to take some more swings, maybe some higher ranked guys and not have to feel like they have to take certain guys because now they have the flexibility. They can be really picky with who they want to go after. And so you mentioned a couple of local guys, a Swain, I think it is the higher rated of the two of those two guys. Um, But I don't think Ohio State feels boxed in necessarily when it comes to that. And and they're going to take their time, I think, and be pretty selective uh, as things roll on from here. I did have the opportunity to talk to uh, five current Ohio State football players on Friday. They were promoting some camps they're going to be doing over the summer, which you can read about on, on 11 Warriors. One of the guys I talked to was Cade Stover, and you guys can also read about uh, him as well. If you go to 11warriors.com, I wrote about you know, his excitement to be back at linebacker, and he definitely sounds happy to be back of a defensive side of a ball. I asked him if he missed playing linebacker for the past two years when he was a tight end. And he said three times, he said every day. And so I think Cade Stover's really excited to be back on defense. Going to be really interesting to see what his role looks like. He told me that he he honestly doesn't even know exactly what his role is going to be yet. He said, if I'm going through winter workouts right now, he hasn't really had a, a lot of sit downs of Jim Knowles yet to really get to know exactly what the defense is going to look like, but he's a guy that I think is really intriguing in terms of potentially that Leo spot. You're talking about a guy who's a 6'4", 257. He has that defensive end body with a background playing 
safety in high school. And so he's a guy that I think is a, a really intriguing and it, it was good to get to talk to him and kind of get um, his perspective on uh, that move back to defense. Another interesting thing I thought that he told me was I asked him, I said, who's going to step up at tight end now that you're moving to defense? And he immediately named Joe Royer. And when we talked to Kevin Wilson at the Rose, that's what he said. He named Joe Royer as a guy who really had taken a step. So yeah, that's going to be interesting in terms of that tight end spot for next year. Because to me, that's one of the biggest question marks on the team. Losing Jeremy Rucker, Cade Stover, moving positions. They really need somebody to step up at tight end, especially if they don't bring in a transfer, which right now they don't really have the roster space to do. And Joe Royer, he seems to be the guy that people are talking about is he's the guy that people are expecting to step up and really play a major role at tight end this season. And Dan, I know you did a piece as well from those same uh, sessions talking about how winter workouts are going for Ohio State. And that's something we haven't necessarily gotten to talk to, to too many guys about. But it sounds like the intensity has been really ratcheted up here, um, especially with, with how things might have ended last season. Yeah, I mean, probably not breaking news there that winter workouts are intense and the team uh, is hungry to win a national championship. But that was a big theme of all the guys I talked to. They all said that the workouts have been really intense. Cade Stover said that uh, last week was the best week of workouts he's had since they've been here. And so no surprise. I think the intensity is really being ratcheted up. I, I tried to get Ronnie Hickman to reveal whether it was 42, 27 all over the walls. He, he wouldn't take the bait, but did tell me that they are being reminded constantly about that loss to Michigan. So I know there's some questions out there in the fan base. I've seen uh, more comments than I've ever seen in the past. People wondering about the strength and conditioning program, about whether Mickey Marotti is keeping up with the times. I, I personally still believe Mickey Marotti is one of the best strength coaches in the country, that Ohio State is very lucky to have him, and that I think Ohio State strength and conditioning is going to be uh, just fine. But a certain just by talking to those guys, and then even the tweet we saw from Tanner McAllister last week, where Taraja Mitchell tweeted about Matt drills and Tanner quote tweeted him and said, you should have told me what I was getting myself into an indicator of the, the winter workouts at Ohio state might be a little tougher than they were at Oklahoma state. And so if you're worried about them taking it easy or, or being soft in winter workouts, it certainly doesn't sound like uh, that's the case. And you talk to these guys, they'll tell you this is where toughness is forged. And this time of the year is really important for Ohio State to, to do what it's supposed to do in the fall. And so it's just the start of the offseason. You can only read so much into it, but certainly sounds like they're doing all the right things in winter workouts right now. And one other thing, one quick thing we're keeping our eye on as well in terms of Ohio State athletics, the men's tennis team is on some type of role right now. I know you had a chance to talk to some of those guys making a, a bid at a national championship here coming up this, this weekend, right? So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, definitely. I'll have a story on 11 Warriors this week. I just talked to uh, Ty Tucker and a couple of their players on uh, Tuesday morning about the run that they've been on, which is pretty crazy if you haven't been following it. Ohio State has swept four straight top 10 opponents, and they're the number one team in the country right now. So I talked to those guys. I mean, I asked them point blank. Do you, do you expect to win this weekend? And they said, yes. So they, they're, they're a team that's playing of a ton of confidence, right? Going to ITA indoor nationals, uh, the actual NCAA nationals will take place outdoors later in the spring, but definitely a chance, I think for Ohio state to win a national title this weekend. So we'll certainly be keeping an eye on uh, that. And 
I mean, just across the board. I mean, we mostly talk about football and men's basketball on this show, but I feel like as we close out here, we should give some recognition to the entire athletic department right now because Ohio State put out a graphic last week. Ohio State currently has 15 ranked teams across all sports. Number one, men's tennis. Number two, women's hockey. Number four, men's fencing. Number six, women's fencing. Number six, men's gymnastics. Number eight, wrestling. Number nine, women's swimming and diving. Number 11, women's tennis. Number 12, men's volleyball. Number 14, men's swimming and diving. Number 14, women's track and field. Number 16, men's basketball. Number 21, women's basketball. Number 22, women's gymnastics. So that's just about every team that's competing right now. I mean, you're talking about uh, winter sports teams or spring sports teams starting up their seasons. That's almost all of them. And so really impressive to see what Ohio State is doing across all sports right now. And certainly some teams in that mix that have a chance to compete for national titles, starting with that men's tennis team with a huge opportunity this weekend. Yeah, my eyes will be closest glued to that the, the men's basketball team who's got a five games in 13 days coming up and a couple of three game weeks as well. So I will be there at the shot for that action and uh, keeping an, keeping an eye peeled on everything else going on as well. Yeah, Griffin, right now for you, I feel like it's like you go to a game, you write the recap of a game, and then you got to start writing the preview for the next game. That, that's kind of a schedule it is for, for basketball right now. So basketball, keeping Griffin busy. Pretty soon things will get even busier. We got the NFL Combine coming up in a couple of weeks, spring practice right after that, leading up to that spring game on April 16th. So plenty to talk about still to come here, even though football season is now over with the Super Bowl. Still plenty for us to talk about here on Real Pod Wednesdays. So thank you uh, for joining us once again this week, and we'll talk to you again next week.